I'm Steph. I'm Kim. And, and this, this is Solved, Unsolved, or Spooky. How you going, Kim? Alright, how are you? I'm pretty awesome. Do you know what I realised today? What? This time last year, we were getting in cars, taking off, getting away from the bushfire. <laughs> and the weather is just very different. So so crazy, it's flooding. <laughs> we just had a massive storm earlier. Crazy. Yeah. Remember? Yes. <laughs> You've been getting up like for weeks. I think if there was a fire at like one o'clock in the morning so I can go back to sleep and go, Oh, we're not gonna get burnt down tonight. <laughs> And then coming home, finding you at the front of the driveway with all the dogs on the back and the kittens in the front and the goldfish and the axolotl. <laughs> on our day trip. <laughs> that we were gone for like a month or more. Oh. Yes. It was pretty hectic, eh? Very. can't believe how long it was. It's been a year. I can't believe it. Yeah. Everything looks so weird still. All the trees with their weird growth and no canopies. Interesting to see what it's like in another 12 months. Mm. I don't know if it'll change much. I mean, the trees are all still completely black. Don't know. <laughs> Hopefully things will get better. I'm pretty sure 2021 will be much better year. It better because <laughs> we had the bushfires, then flooding, and then... More flooding than COVID. A lot of people had a really bad year. Oh, yes. So, okay. What are you <laughs> going to talk about today? Um, today I am doing, actually I'm doing two cases because they're really tiny and I couldn't find a heap of information. But anyway, I'm doing the Ararat Lunatic Asylum. And I am also doing, it used to be known as the Canberra Institute of Anatomy, but now it's like, um, I forgot the name of it, but I'll get there when I get down with my notes. <laughs> uh, you should be in the lunatic asylum. <laughs> oh, I probably would have been. <laughs> Wait, you'll, you'll hear it. <laughs> So, the Ararat Lunatic Asylum it opened in 1867. It is located um, about 205 k's or kilometres away from Melbourne. And Ararat, Ararat Lunatic Asylum was used to relieve the prison system of those who were thought to be the most criminally insane and irreparably evil. That's why you've been there. <laughs> no, that's not what I but... However, it also became a place for people suffering from mental illnesses, such as postnatal depression and conditions such as epilepsy, autism, <laughs> me, and Down syndrome. At any one time, it was home to roughly a thousand patients and five hundred staff. Whoa, that's a lot of people. <laughs> um, but and it apparently had about a hundred deaths a year. Oh wow. Today, well, that's like ten percent. Yeah, it, it's. <laughs> oh wow, that's incredible. Today, the building is used for ghost tours, <laughs> and visitors report unexpectedly fainting, 
feelings of nausea and pains, ominous smells, which I, but no, I'm not okay with that. And I'm also not okay with methodical banging sounds, like patients hitting their heads against the walls. You need to book us in. <laughs> These apparently are pretty common. They just barked. <laughs> I don't know if everyone heard that. According to visitors, they also report feelings of being shoved and bitten <laughs> and have heard sounds of shrieking voices, ticking clocks, and have also had electrical interference with cameras and other electrical equipment. <laughs> I know. I kind of want to go, but I kind of don't. We have to. We simply have to. We're going to Melbourne. We, we can do it. Well, not quite Melbourne. When the COVID thing's done, we'll feel I was going to say, it's not, they're not very, they're okay down there now, I think. Can I just apologise for that <laughs> dog in the background? Oh, he's very noisy and we're very sorry. Yeah, he's noisy. <laughs> the asylum had 60 buildings and out of these, the day ward, which is quite famous now, <laughs> was known for housing Ararat's most infamous patients with one of the most prominent being Bill Wallace. <laughs> I think you're going to like this Why too. was Billy Boy so famous? Well, it's funny. It's not funny, but it's funny. Okay. <laughs> so, in 1926, Bill Wallace was suspected of murdering a man in a cafe in Melbourne. Not funny. I just, I'm having troubles. The man entered Waterloo Cafe sat down and lit up a cigarette because apparently you could just walk into cafes and places and light up a cigarette. You'll probably found it fancy. <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> he apparently hated smoking at the time and had asked him to put it out. Fair enough. <laughs> the guy refused. So Wallace waited for him outside in the street and then shot him. Oh. Yeah, and a policeman who was nearby heard the shot and ran to the scene of the crime and arrested Wallace. I he, hate to interrupt, <laughs> but I told you smoking kills. <laughs> well, I don't smoke, but um, you're awesome. So he refused to answer any questions or talk about the crime. Because there was no witnesses and he didn't admit to the crime, Wallace was found unpl- unfit to plead and was declared insane by two doctors. Ooh, makes sense. Hard. <laughs> Um, That's because he wouldn't talk. Yeah, pretty much. He was sentenced to be held at J Ward at the governor's pleasure, which pretty much just means that the governor could hold Wallace as long as he wanted and could release him once he was convinced that he was better. As long as the governor didn't use him for his pleasure. (laughs) Removing that. (laughs) No, you're not. Wallace refused to speak to the doctors, so was never released. He spent the rest of his life institutionalised. Maybe he was a mute. No, he could talk. 57 years at Daywood and 7 at Ardale Unit until his death at age 107. What, he lived till 107? I know. <laughs> what year was this? Uh, where was it? Yeah. 1926. That is incredible. I know, it's pretty amazing. Um, they thought at the time that he had a wife and family and they said he possibly made arrangements with figures in the underworld to care for them, Aww. but uh, he never spoke of them. So, yeah. 
Wallace resided in cell 1, which is the first cell on the right of the wing. Wallace was reported to be one of the heaviest smokers in J-Ward. What? I know. A bit of you know, a hypocrite. <laughs> um, apparently, he liked to smoke government-issued tobacco. It came in a 50-pound block. I was going to look that up. But that's just like a lot. I'd say he was getting it for free, so. Yeah. Um, he led his daily life in J-Ward, content and considered it to be his home, and liked to be addressed as Mr. Wallace and always acted like a gentleman. <laughs> he always wore a suit, and the staff would measure him for his annual suit fitting, which he bought from a local store in Ararat called Foster's. If provoked, <laughs> Mr. Wallace was said to be fully capable of kicking one's head off, and apparently even at the age of 100, he could become violent. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> one night in the dining hall, the inmates were eating dinner, one inmate asked Mr. Wallace if he wanted to eat the last slice of bread on his plate while reaching across the table. Oh. <laughs> what would your response be, Mum? Oh, I think I'd get a knife and chop his fingers off. Okay, not too far. In response, he picked up the fork and stabbed into his hand. <laughs> he wanted a bit of bread. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> on his 100th birthday... The staff at J Ward gifted him a chess set as a gesture, and he was, as he was said, to have loved Baker. The chessboard is still on display in the J Ward Museum. I can still tell he Dexter barking. Crazy <laughs> young. The public became aware that there was a hundred-year-old inmate at J Ward and petitioned for his release, as he never went to court. They wanted to prove his innocence. Like they didn't really have much evidence. After three years, the government agreed to release him. Oh, where was he going to go? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter, though, because Mr. Wallace did not want to leave. His exact words were quoted to be, Don't be effing silly. I live here. This is my home. <laughs> he had lived there for pretty much like 60 years at that point. It so kick him out of that. <laughs> he was eventually moved to the geriatric ward at Argyle Lunatic Asylum where he eventually died at the age of 107, just one month short of his 108th birthday. That is incredible. Yep. Another patient, Gary David, or Gary Webb, as he became known as, was said to have mutilated his body over 70 times and apparently used to shout at people to get out of his room. <laughs> All the dogs are talking. Mm, very noisy. Webb's mother, Betty, was an alcoholic, and his father, Rupert, was a criminal and a pedophile. Isn't that great? Webb and his siblings were placed in an orphanage when he was just four years old. From that time until 1972, he spent his life in several orphanages, boys' homes, and youth training centres. At the age of 11, Webb began committing various offences, including larceny, making threats and offences of dishonesty. When he was 13, he was first diagnosed as having a personality disorder with psychopathic traits. He was subsequently admitted to a psychiatric facility on eight separate occasions. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, between 1976 and 1984, and was variously diagnosed with antisocial, borderline, hysteronic? Hysteronics. Yeah, that one knows what 
And narcissistic personality disorder. Ooh, That's a lot. Sounds like a gem. What to deal with. It was during this time that he began self-mutilating to an extreme degree. And, oh, my God. So cutting or? Well, yeah, fair enough. Uh, he swallowed razor blades. Oh, my goodness. Cut off parts of his ear. Okay, that, that reminded me of Van Gogh. And, oh, right, and his left nipple. <laughs> <laughs> um, he injured his genitals, oh. hammered nails into his feet, yeah. and swallowed corrosive liquid. Well, I think maybe he was trying to commit. Oh, he needs help, that's for sure. But, yeah. Mm, they're not doing much help in that little lunatic song. <laughs> well, I don't think they were big on, you know, mental health and knowing how to deal with it correctly. They just diagnose. Yeah, you yes, but we're not going to help you. In 18, 1982, Webb was sentenced to 14 years imprisonment for in- attempting to murder three people during a robbery gone wrong at a pizza restaurant. <laughs> that was in Rye, Victoria. Oh. The robbery appeared to be an attempt to draw police into a shootout. The pizza shop owner and one of the responding officers were severely wounded in the incident, and Webb was wounded in the leg by police. A news crew spotted him fleeing the scene and he was arrested. Mm -hmm. Whilst in prison, Webb wrote many manuscripts, one titled Blueprints for Urban Warfare, which spoke of committing massacres upon his release from prison. In it... (laughs) Sorry, some of these things that were written in it. He depicted cigarette machines dispensing seven fingers. Seven fingers. Drink machines dispensing blood. Oh. Um, to scenarios such as bombings of bridges and public places, the assassination of prominent politicians, <laughs> the poisoning of water supplies, <laughs> and indiscriminate shooting in public places. Oh, fair enough. Just don't release the guy. Yeah, no, he needs to be in jail. Webb claimed that he had been instructed to write his more graphic fantasies down as a form of therapy. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Better off to write it down than to, than to do it. it. Yeah. He also showed hostility towards the police force and prison system, resorting to violence and self-mutilation whenever his requests or demands were not met. Mm. <laughs> in 1990. Webb was declared mentally ill by the government health department officials. I, I don't know how he wasn't already. Yeah. yeah. The Mental Health Act, 1986, entitled Webb to the right to appeal. And in February and March 1990, he did. In May 1990, the board found that he was not mentally ill and recommended he be discharged as an involuntary patient as the board believed that a personality disorder is not a mental illness, as per the Mental Health Act. Oh. Yeah. This is 1990. Wow, that's incredible. I know. How could they get it so wrong? (laughs) The Victorian government faced the dilemma of respecting Webb's right to freedom and the protection of the community upon his release. How are they going to do that? <laughs> the government wanted to keep Webb imprisoned indefinitely by introducing the Community Protection Act of 1990. The legislation gave Victorian Supreme Court judges the power to hold him in preventative detention for 12 months if the judge was convinced that Webb was still at risk to the community and likely to commit further offences. But um, Webb committed suicide by ingesting razor blades 
that led to peritonitis, and he died on the 11th of June, 1993. And at the time of his death, he was only 38. That's so sad. It's crazy. Um, There was a song written about him. Um, He's on the Run by Dean Bradley Fisk. Don't know if you've heard that. No. I tried to look it up, but um, you had to pay. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I'm cheap, so. (laughs) Um, There is another infamous room that leaves visitors in a trance-like state and have feelings of nausea and terror, which is said to last until they leave the building. Mm. Um, Back in 1859, when the jail ward was originally used as a county jail, Three prisoners that were hung and buried in the exercise area of the ward. And that ward is now apparently haunted by the three. Oh, we got to go there. <laughs> that was interesting. Because they were convicted for murder, they were not given a Christian burial. And now the only evidence of their former existence are three small mark scratches in the wall of the oh, prison. Wow. Yeah, so where are they buried then? Um, near the prison, I suppose, just not in a marked thing. The superintendent's office is also known for being haunted. People who walk by reportedly can taste the bitter taste. A former superintendent died by suicide after swallowing prusic acid or hydrogen cyanide. And this is said to be the reason for the bitter taste. (laughs) They are not sure who it is, but according to reports, this could have been Dr. William L. Mullen, who died in 1912. Now Australia's largest abandoned mental institution, when Ararat Lunatic Asylum, or Ar- Ardale Mental Hospital as it later became, was closed in 1997, it had seen 13,000 deaths in its 130 years. Oh, my gosh. That's a few deaths. <laughs> Just a few. Whoa. Yeah. And um, it was, like, built so that from the inside, the walls were really tall and it impossible to climb or escape and it kind of hit a lot of stuff that was going on yeah so from the outside though the walls were really didn't look very high so no yeah you just couldn't tell so it looked like a normal little thing on the outside yep. but in the inside it was like this impossible thing to get out of and it, oh, okay. yeah, it kind of hit a bit yeah um it only took two signatures to have someone committed so if you didn't like your husband <laughs> yep just two signatures and you're good. And at one point it took up to eight signatures to be released. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, most people never got to leave the asylum. Um, In 2001, it became the campus of Melbourne Polytechnic. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to be there, <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> According to several reviews on the Ardale Ghost Tours Facebook page, many accounts also speak about the presence of a nurse, Kerry, who frequents the woman's ward and watches over the tour guides. Some of the quotes said, I took many photos, a few potentially showing some shadows slash faces. Another saying that her son fainted in one of the rooms, and another said that didn't see a ghost but did get a tingling sensation on one half of my head in one of the rooms, Mm -hmm. which I was later told was the shock therapy ward. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I know. Okay, so that was that one. Far out. And now for my second one, which is the National Film and Sound Archive in Canberra. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what it's called now. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's actually served as the Institute of Anatomy for more than 50 years. It was the site of scientific experiments and housed human skeletons, animal specimens, and artifacts. The building was commissioned in 1920s to be the entrance to the National Museum of Zoology. The blueprints were designed by Walter Burley Griffin. Oh, wow. I know. Did, did, did you see that? He's on camera? Yeah, he's on the design camera. <laughs> but I was like, why is that name so familiar? And then I was like, oh, Lake Burley yeah, I'm like, oh, you know, that must have been named after him. I was like, and then I was like, oh, I learnt that like in year six when we went to Canberra. Oh, yes. And leading the grand project was Sir Colin Mackenzie. Mackenzie started collecting live and dead things. He collected skeletons and artifacts, and he apparently housed the live things at his family's property, located in Victoria which is now known as the Healesville Sanctuary. I mean, kind of like our connection. Yeah, <laughs> That's like sounds, one of everything. Sounds a little bit like you and your sister. You collect the life things. <laughs> you collect the dead. <laughs> but not long after the work started on the building, the Depression hit and the federal government's coffers ran dry. Mackenzie was tasked with reimagining how the building could be utilised, and in 1931 it opened to the public as the Institute of Anatomy. There was a huge number of specimens preserved in jars. Most of the jars contained marsupials. I mean, we have a lot of marsupials here. <laughs> Monotremes and anatomical anomalies, including humans. Ooh. Yes. Mackenzie gathered bodies and body parts of animals of all sorts with additional organs or other anatomical curiosities, um, and aborted fetuses. Mm. He also collected and received skulls, humans as well as other animals. I don't know where it was, and I can't find it again, but I'm pretty sure I read something like that there was just skulls, like, everywhere. <laughs> and there's a photo. I'll, I'll, I'll try and post it. It's got, like, a skeleton hanging. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I find this stuff fascinating, so... Um, okay, oh, and over the years, the collection included Farlap's heart. And for those who don't know, Farlap was a racehorse who had an amazing strength and endurance. His heart had been up to 14 pounds in weight, which is twice the amount of an average horse's heart. And he won a lot of races and ended up dying due to arsenic poisoning. How crazy. Was I remember he, doing was that. Was he poisoned? He wasn't. They don't really know how he actually ingested it because they thought he actually had assassination attempts upon him. So they thought at the time it could be that, but they don't really know. I think he got murderated. I just remember doing my um, assignment in in primary school about him. (laughs) And I think Nettie looks like him a bit. Yeah. Poor father. They also had a mummy from Papua New Guinea. And uh, skeletons of humans and animals. Um, at one point, they were given a skull, which was thought to be that of Ned Kelly. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, was, it? Awesome. Sorry, it was put on display until stolen in 1978. It turned up again around 2009, but when tested, turned out not to be Ned Kelly's, but might have belonged to Frederick Deeming, one of the many Jack the Ripper suspects. So they think at some point it got switched out. Okay, so it could have been Ned. It could have been at the, like, because the police 
at the jail, they were like, well, like, well, people like dug it up and then they had it there as like a paperweight yeah. on their desk for some reason. And then like, they don't know if it got swapped out there oh, and okay. they thought they were giving it to like the real skull or they, they don't know if when they had it there, it got swapped out. Um, Mackenzie served as the Institute's director for seven years before his death. This is when the government moved the Department of Health into the top floor of the building. The museum remained open and the Department of Health drew on the collection for scientific research and experiments. By the late 1970s, interest in the Institute of Anatomy was waning and the idea for a national museum was born. The Institute's collection formed the basis for the Natural Museum of Australia and the building was left empty for a few years. In 1984, the National Film and Sound Archive was formed and moved into the building the following year. The foyer of this building is lined with nine busts of famous Australians, including two death masks. Mm. <laughs> okay, this bit kind of freaks me out. I don't know why. You'll see. Um, Mackenzie's ashes are stored in the wall behind a plaque that reads, oh, wait, I don't know how to say this, C. Monumentum Recraft? I don't know. Circumspice? <laughs> I don't know if I said that any close. I did look it up. Which translates as, if you were looking for a monument to me, you are within it. I put it into Google Translate and realized there is no way I can say that properly. And the translation said, if you look around, monumento. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was this quote, which I think was supposed to be nice, but it really creeped me out. It's a double meaning. If you're looking for a monument to him, it's here. This is his tomb. He built his own tomb and you were walking in it. How do you feel about that, Mum? I don't think I like it. <laughs> I don't. Oh, you're going to love this name. Oh, Tim the Yowie Man <laughs> <laughs> said that there have been several reported sightings of Mackenzie's ghost. Mm. They're in the building in the late afternoon and they see an outline of an elderly man dressed well come out of the wall near where his ashes are. Mm. He just appears there. Doesn't move much and then suddenly sucks back into the where the ashes were behind the wall. That's terrifying. It is terrifying, but I'd like to see it. <laughs> I think Tim the Yak, I, I forgot, I looked it up and then I forgot. I think he's like, um, he does like the ghost tours around oh, okay. there. I love his name. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like driving, um, through the like rainforest bit and you and dad used to tell us that the Yowies and Gremlins would come and get us. Ghost sightings and the paranormal activity are pretty common. And another ghost is of that of a little girl that would pop up through the grate in the old theatre and make visiting school students laugh. <laughs> I don't know that I'd be laughing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'd be like, why is there this little girl that just popped out? There have also been reports of poltergeist activity particularly where the dissection laboratories used to be. Since the NFSA moved in, the space has been used as an office with two sound recording booths. Tim the Yowie Man <laughs> said quite often that staff would ha have meetings in that room and they would hear noises coming from the recording booth and they would see things flying around in there. <laughs> All these tapes had fallen out of anti-gravity tape decks, which it can't happen unless you, unless someone or something has forced them out. 
goodness. <laughs> a group of ghost hunters from New South Wales stayed overnight at the building last year, and it is said that their equipment went crazy. One of the things ghosts or spirits apparently do is suck energy, so they'll suck the life out of batteries. They had six of these pieces of equipment set up in a row, and apparently like they, they watched all of the batteries drain from full down to empty at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it should be pretty terrifying. Maybe I've got a ghost because I'm always exhausted and sucking the life out of me. <laughs> and that's my stories. They weren't overly very long. I couldn't find that much info, and I, like, searched for hours. But I thought they were really fascinating. Yeah, I'll have to go there and see if we can find out some more. I mean, I would have gone there. <laughs> I'm like, rather than, like, the usual things that we do every time, like the War Memorial and Mint. I mean, I love Mint, but we should go there on the Geoscience Science Centre. Because <laughs> I love the Geoscience Centre. <laughs> yeah. Very, very good. <laughs> a bit Spooky. Yeah, spooky. I love spooky stuff, but it terrifies me. <laughs> I just, I think I'd like to actually know. I'd like to see it. What? A ghost. I already have, and I can tell you it's terrifying. I want to see my own. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one, oh, one episode we'll have to talk about the ghost little boy. You'll have to. Yeah. Okay. You have to invite your sisters and they can talk about it. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. Three out of four of us saw him. Mm. So that's weird. Thank you for listening. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can follow us at Facebook at Solved, Unsolved or Spooky, on Twitter at hashtag or solved, Instagram at Solved, Unsolved or Spooky. You can email us at podcast at solved unsolved or spooky.com please subscribe and leave a review on itunes